Let's take our Bibles tonight, 1 Samuel chapter number 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3, such a blessing, great, great to be in God's house here tonight and uh, good to get to open up the Word of God here this evening, 1 Samuel chapter 3, <clears throat> our series, uh, for those of you who maybe just joined us, when a nation needs revival, and I know we all agree, if you love America, you know and you're praying that God would send revival in our country. And so uh, certainly praying that way and that God would use us. What an, really, what an exciting time to get to live, you know, in, a, in days that are dark. And when there is a lot of confusion, to be able to know there is a God. And he's on the throne. So that's, uh, that's good. I'm excited about that. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. It began this way. I love the contrast between verse 1 and the end verse of the chapter. It says, uh, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of God was precious in those days. There was no open vision. In other words, they, they weren't hearing from God. You know why they weren't hearing from God? They didn't want to hear from God. That's it. All right, but look at the last verse of the chapter, <clears throat> and then we'll fill in the blanks in between. Verse 21, it says, and the Lord appeared, what? Again, in Shiloh of all places. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So God was not done. God was not finished, and thankful to God for that. Let's pick up the reading now in verse number 11. Verse 11 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. Doesn't sound good, does it? Verse number 12, in that day, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. There's a lot of preaching right there. When I begin, when I begin, I will also make an end for I have told him that he will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that, all the, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Verse 15 tells us, And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is, this, what is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me, God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he hath said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit, everything, every word, and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. 
Verse 19, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, it means his word was authoritative and helpful and was received and made, made a difference. In fact, look at verse 20. And all Israel, from Dan in the north, even to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So tonight, here's the title for the message, Called to Deliver a Tough Message. That's really what we all are called to do, to deliver a tough message. God's people must speak up since he has spoken. God's people, uh, that'd be you, that'd be all of us. If you're saved tonight, part of God's people, we must speak up since God has spoken. And so uh, to do that in this day and time, we'll take courage. Courage. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Call to deliver a tough message. God's people must speak up, must speak up since he has spoken. <clears throat> Have you ever had to talk to someone about something uh, rather difficult? And if you're like me, you, you just dread bringing up the matter. Now, if you take delight in that, I'm probably not going to help you here tonight, but <clears throat> you just dread it. Maybe, maybe you do this, maybe and you go through it in your mind. I mean, you rehearse it, you know, what you're going to say, you know, you got to talk to somebody. Um, you spend time praying about it. That's, hey, that's a good idea right there. Pray about it before you talk to them about it. You ask others perhaps to pray. You pray that the Lord might come again so you don't have to talk to Things like that. All right. So, you know, some of the scenarios that I might be talking about or that maybe would be on your heart and mind. I'm trying to think about, you know, different, different ways that maybe that would play out in, in your life. Uh, maybe you got to speak to somebody at work. I, I mean, if you're a, you're a caring boss and a supervisor, maybe, maybe you've had to call somebody into your office. All right. And that's tough. I mean, you don't even want to, to deal with it. But, you, you know, for the good of the company, you've got to deal with this. Right. And so. Uh, you're concerned about that. Or maybe it's that as a friend, you see something on somebody's social media page and you're concerned about it and you know you ought to talk to them about it. You don't want to, but you know, for their own good, maybe you, you got to talk to them. Anybody else experience what I'm talking about right here and you want to you do your part? How about witnessing to someone? How about uh, more particularly, how about witnessing to a family member, maybe a, a grandparent or Maybe even a parent. I, I remember so well my dad, um, you know, I, I've told you before that while I was growing up, my dad wasn't in church. Um, when I started getting things right with the Lord, I really got burdened about my dad because I, I hadn't heard his salvation testimony personally. And, um, and so I'll never forget the day we were riding horses on Mr. Moyer's property. And we had permission to, <laughs> to do so in case you were wondering. But uh, we were coming up the, uh, 
uh, well, there was a, a power line and had some trails on it. We were coming up that and I was, I was, um, I don't know how old, maybe 16 years old, something like that. And I was just trying to work up the gumption to ask my dad, dad, if anything were to happen to you, do you know for sure? And I'd rehearse that in my mind. And, um, I mean, I had such regard for him and do, um, he just wasn't as open to talk about some of those things. So I, I remember, you know, just kind of being fearful about that. And, uh, and, and finally asking him, and, and we had a wonderful talk about that. I'm so glad that God enabled us that and then had several conversations after that. But you know what I mean. I mean, you, you've, you want to share the gospel with someone, but maybe you're fearful to do so. Um, it could be that, uh, that you know, hey, listen, you know she's the one. Hello? And you know you're supposed to ask her dad if you can marry her. Now, this is like when you're in your 20s, all right? Somewhere right in there. And man, just working up the, the, the courage, I still remember, uh, you know, knowing. I, I mean, I was firmly convinced I was supposed to marry Angie, but I, and I've known Brother Decker all my life, but more so I knew he knew me all my life. And so we were fishing. It was a father-son or a men's outing, you know, and, and fishing trip there at, at uh, uh, Bear, Bear River Lake. And we were coming up the hill and he was out of breath. And I thought, man, this is the perfect time right here, you know? <laughs> so I finally asked him, I said, uh, Brother Decker, <laughs> could I marry your daughter? Something like that. And he said this, what took you so long to ask me that? You know, so I was <laughs> helped and inspired right there. But I remember, I don't know, you know, you just kind of get nervous, right? Nervous. Um, maybe you've got to talk to your spouse about something. Maybe you've got to talk to your kids about something or, or a grandchild, something like that. And you, you don't know how it's going to go or how it's going to be received. It could be a fellow believer. I mean, it's easy to lose sleep over stuff like that. Maybe you can see, you can sense how the conversation's going um, in the break room and, and they know you're a believer or maybe it's while you're at school and they know you're a believer and they know what you stand for and you know it's coming. You know they're going to ask you, hey, so what do you think about? And it's one of the social issues of the day or... Um, something to do maybe with the Bible or what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, and you know that you ought to speak up, but my soul, it's, it's tough. It's tough. When God spoke to Samuel here in the early morning hours in the tabernacle, he gave Samuel the first of many very difficult tasks. I mean, just imagine, here's your mentor. I mean, it's, it's the man that God had used to show you the priesthood. And, and yes, obviously he's got issues, but I, I, believe, I believe Samuel had respect for Eli. He's 12, 12 years old. Who else here is 12? Let me get an idea. 12, okay, look at this. 12 year olds. All right, so... You're 12 years old and God tells you to tell a message like that. That's intimidating. I, I can only imagine what it would have been like for Samuel. But he had to speak. He had to deliver a tough message. Uh, folks, we're, um, as I mentioned before, we're living in a very unique time in our nation's history. I know this is not the first time we've been somewhere like this, but in our lifetimes, at least in many of our lifetimes, 
Um, there's a lot of issues in this day. And we dare not be silent because God has spoken. We dare not be silent. But it'd be easy for us to get intimidated right here when it comes to sexuality and, and it comes to racial tensions and, and other social issues, whether it's Marxism that is sweeping our country. It'd be easy for us just to be quiet. In fact, perhaps that's how we got here. Like many of you, um, I'm reading, well, I'm trying to, okay, I'm trying to finish some other books before I get further in this book. Anybody else in that boat? So I'm, I'm reading, and, and right now I'm really working at uh, Slouching Towards Gomorrah by Robert Bork. And he wrote that back in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken there. But I'm tell and he's passed away now. And he was a Jew. He's not a Christian. But I'm telling you, what he was saying back then is almost prophetic to what's happening in America right now. It's amazing. But there's another book that I know many of you are familiar with. And we gave it to all the adult teachers. It's called We Will Not Be Silenced by uh, Edward Lutzer. Edwin Lutzer, and he wrote another book called um, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons to Learn from Nazi Germany. It's a very helpful book. I've read that one in its entirety and, and uh, certainly was helpful to, to read that. But uh, Angie read a couple of chapters to us even on the way to church tonight, and I, I thought it fit the message so well that I wanted just to mention a few things. He said this in the introductory parts of the book. So-called progressive Christians advance their causes under the banner of love and compassion. In the process, hard truths of Christianity are either redefined or ignored. He says this, let me be clear. I'm opposed to a form of judgmental Christianity that holds truth without compassion and righteousness without humility. Everybody understand that? Judgmental Christianity that holds truth without compassion and righteousness without humility. I'm opposed to a form of Christianity that judges without listening and sees the faults of others without seeing our own. Then he says, he says this, our churches should be sanctuaries for the downtrodden. Our churches should be a sanctuary for the oppressed, for the lonely. It, it ought to be a hospital for the soul. Yeah. But I see much of contemporary Christianity. Listen to this. I, he says this. I see much of contemporary Christianity submitting to the culture in many areas of life especially in matters of sexuality. The only way to make Christianity appealing, we are told, is to move the markers, to be more inclusive, more affirming. I fear we are allowing culture to inform our thinking and even raise our children. We are no longer submissive to the whole counsel of God, and he references Acts 20, 27. We think 
We must accept or acquiesce to culture in order to redeem it. Is everybody listening to this? We think we must accept culture or acquiesce to culture, to submit to culture in order to redeem it. He tells a story about Alistair Begg that, that he and his wife were traveling on an expressway when he remarked to her that the sun was going down in the wrong direction. For a moment, he didn't know how to interpret this strange phenomenon until he realized that he'd missed a turn and they were on an expressway headed east rather than south. <laughs> Today, many people use their own judgment as their point of reference. They feel so right about their direction that they are deaf to calls for them to rethink their approach to culture. Is everybody following this? Hey, if you're, if you're headed east and you think the, the sun sets in the east, you're, 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 me you're mixed up. It still sets in the west. And you're wondering, why in the sun over here? You're mixed up. It's not the sun that's mixed up. You're mixed up. Turn around, go west, and you'll see the sun setting. Does that make sense? Too often, he says, let me just read you here a little bit and then we'll get into our text. <clears throat> Too often, compassion is used to override our better judgment and approve ungodly lifestyles. We tell ourselves that we don't, we don't want to witness about our faith because we fear offending someone. We are silent in the face of political and moral decline because we, we want to be thought of as nice, not judgmental. We don't want to let people know that the way into the kingdom is narrow and the cost, there is cost to following Jesus. But he says, I dedicate this book to those who seek to stand for truth and still be loving. Stand for truth and still be loving. How do we deliver this hard message that we've been called to deliver? How was Samuel at age 12, as, as God was working in his heart to, to help have him to reveal to Eli that, that God's judgment was about to fall on him? How, how would Samuel deliver that message? Well, I think we can gain some insights here that would really help us, whether you are are, are called upon to talk to somebody and you're really concerned about talking to them. Maybe it's about the Lord or about their situation or a fellow brother or sister in Christ. How should you approach that? Or, or what about the people at work that, that really you need to take a stand, but, and you could do that in a very arrogant way or you could do it in a Bible way. Okay, let's look and see what the Bible says. And can we take a stand uh, and be compassionate without compromising? I believe we can. All right. So let's just look and see what uh, Samuel was doing here. It says that the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'll do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In other words, they'll be in shock. They'll be in utter amazement that, that this has happened to Eli and his household. That's what verse number 11 is saying. And in that day, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken. Everybody see that? I'm going to perform. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do that I have spoken concerning his house. When I began, I'll make an end. Hey, listen, friend, God's still able to do that. He's able to bring a judgment and, and, to, and to correct. And so he says here, what I've spoken, I'm going to, I'm going to do. Now, I don't know how much time has transpired 
from chapter two, where the man of God showed up on the scene to declare this to Eli, to when God spoke to, to Samuel to speak to Eli, but it sure seems to indicate that there was a space of time when Eli could have got this right. Hey, listen, we serve a compassionate, merciful God that confronts people so they get things right. But evidently time had run out for Eli. Look at verse number 13. It says, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity. All right, iniquity means this, the twist, the turn, the bent way of thinking. It's that they got off track. God says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with them. I'm going to judge them because they've, they're off track here, which he knoweth. Eli knows it, but he's not dealing with it. I want to say to every dad here tonight, listen, you've got to know what's going on in, our, in your household. We've got to know what's going on and be willing to deal with it. Eli rebuked it, but he didn't remove them, see. And that's problematic. He, he could have removed them. And listen, I realize that you may rebuke and they are not be changed, but we've got to take measures that, that, that we should. And that's what God is dealing with Eli about. He says, he knoweth it because his sons made themselves vile. Uh, the word vile there means uh, lightly esteemed or contemptible, um, shameful, disgraceful. You know what was disgraceful? They used the ministry for their own benefit. That's disgraceful. Shameful. You know what? You know what? Shameful. Uh, they they were committing sexual sin while still yet involved in the ministry, and that was shameful. There's a sharp contrast drawn between Samuel and the sons of Eli. Samuel lay down in the tabernacle close to the things of God to sleep. The sons of Eli lay in the tabernacle to commit fornication or adultery uh, with the women that came to the tabernacle. It's a shameful situation. And God says, I must deal with that. He made his sons vile. They made, his sons made themselves rather vile and he restrained them not. Hey, listen, listen tonight. If you have parents that restrain you, you ought to thank God for that. Therefore, I've sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. How ironic. They were priests. They dealt with sacrifices and offerings every day. And yet God says, I won't accept their sacrifices. I won't accept their offerings. Why? Because they'd been kicking at his sacrifice, kicking at his offering. In other words, it's, it's really like this. What you sow, you reap. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. They were thumbing their nose at God's sacrifices and now they can't offer any sacrifice that's going to purge them. And Samuel it says in verse 15, he lay until the morning. I wonder what all was going through Samuel's mind right there. I've got to tell this to Eli. I've got to talk to Eli about God's judgment. It says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, which, which basically means this. He knew the work of God must go on, even though there's been shameful things done in the house of God. Hey, I, I want to I say this tonight. God's work has got to go on, even though some may, may deal shamefully. God's work goes on, friend. It does. And, and don't, don't allow the sin of others to keep you from serving the Lord. Amen. Samuel just opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So it says here in verse 15 that Samuel feared 
to show Eli the vision. Well, you can understand why. I mean, he was, uh, he was hesitant. Um, I believe he loved Eli. I believe he respected him. Uh, he respected certainly the position. And so he feared to show Eli the vision. Look at verse 16. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here am I. And he said, what is the thing which the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. Don't conceal it. Don't hold it back. Don't cover it. Don't water it down. Don't, don't hold back in any way. Don't conceal it. You've got to show me what God said. Well, that's an open door right there. I pray thee, hide it not from me, verse 17. God, do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things which he said unto thee. And I love verse 18. Look at it. And Samuel told him every wit. In other words, he told him everything. He didn't hold anything back and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet. This is the first time in Israel's history since Moses that they had a prophet of God that was for the whole nation. I mean, this is quite significant that God was speaking again and, and, and uh, speaking to his people and confronting them and using a man of God to do so. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. My, what a difference. Well, how did that happen? Well, because here's a young, young man that even though he was, he was fearful to deliver the message. He knew he had to deliver it. But here's how he did it. Two basic things. You ready? Respectfully and thoroughly. Respectfully and thoroughly. I believe as we confront a culture that has given themselves to iniquity, that we need to confront that culture, people within the culture, respectfully. Could I, could I use this terminology? Compassionately. How many think Samuel was compassionate towards Eli? I think he was. I, th I think he genuinely loved him. In fact, he loved him enough to tell him the truth. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. And when, when you truly love someone, and even though the message you've got to deliver to them is difficult, you've got to love them enough. And you can be respectful in what you say. But then also, secondly, thorough. He told him every whit. Uh, Paul said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold anything back. I wasn't gauging what I was going to say based on what was popular. I wasn't gauging what I was going to say based on what you wanted to hear. I gauged what I had to say based on what you needed to hear. I gauged what I had to say based on, watch this, what God has already said. God has spoken. 
He's spoken about morality. We can't be silent. He has spoken about gender. We can't be silent. He has spoken about how to respect one another from different races. We cannot be silent. He has spoken about uh, things of morality and, and, and drinking and and he has spoken. We, we can't be silent about these things. We can't shy away from that. But that doesn't mean that it gives us license to be abrasive. Um, harsh. Mean-spirited. I, I think that when it comes time to confront someone, that, that we ought to have that compassion towards them, that we truly love them enough to say what needs to be said, but to say it in such a way that it doesn't feel like you're coming down on them. But that you're saying, I know where you are and I care about you. And in fact, I care about you enough to say, hey, listen, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I've had a few meetings like that of you where you've had to sit down with someone. I, hey, uh, by the way, by the way, I've been on the other side of that. Been on the other side of it where someone had to come to me and say, hey, um, I may be misunderstanding this, but it appears to me that, well, I didn't like to hear it, right? But I needed to. But I appreciate when someone does that and they're respectful and also where they're thorough. I just wish they wouldn't be so thorough. How do you take preaching? How do, how do you want your preacher to preach? Well, I know this congregation. You want the preacher just to say what needs to be said. You do. And that, that is so helpful. I don't, I, I don't feel any tension here to say, man, I better be careful how that I say this and kind of tiptoe through the tithers. No, I don't feel that at all. I, I feel like, you ever heard that saying? I heard somebody say that. I don't feel like I have to tip, oh man, I better not get on gambling because somebody might, might stop tithing if I get on gambling. Actually, if I get on gambling and say that gambling is wicked and wrong, then somebody's going to be able to tithe better. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but anyways, it's true. I don't feel that way. It is my job as a preacher to do two things, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. You got it? So at any given time in a week, you are either afflicted and you need comfort or you're comfortable and you need afflicted. Which is it? You know, it's easy to get comfortable in your sin and somebody needs to take the word of God and say, hey, listen, that's not right. That's not right thinking. That's not right living. That's not a right way to speak. That's, it's not right to live one way in church and another way the rest of the week. It's just not right. It wasn't right for Eli's sons to use the ministry as a guise for their sexual indulgence. I, I say to everybody here tonight, you're either like Samuel and you're part of that spiritual renewal that God, I believe, wants to bring to a nation. Or you're like Eli's son, using your, spirit, your Christianity as a guise while you go on living a sexually indulgent life. And sometimes you need 
a man of God or a friend to come alongside and say, hey, listen, I know what you're doing and this is not right. We can say that respectfully. You don't have to get nasty about it. Um, there's a ditch on both sides of this. There really is. On one side of the ditch, it's condoning and saying, well, I mean, it, yeah, you're, you're doing this, and that, that's not right. I know that's not right, but I'm not going to say anything because, I mean, it's, not, it's your business. It's not my business. Uh, wait a minute. According to the Word of God, brethren, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of meekness, restoring your, re, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I mean, he deals with that in Galatians chapter 6. I mean, we, but, but he's expecting that we, by the way, that's not just written to preachers. That's written to the people of God in the house of God that would be concerned about one another. And I'm not saying that we got some kind of a spiritual gazapo, um, Gestapo, thank you. Gestapo here that's like going around and checking everybody's Facebook and checking everybody's Instagram and checking everybody's stuff. I mean, that, that's not how we operate here. But when you see something, you hear about something, you could be on one ditch, mean-spirited and harsh and mean. And listen, we, when we have people come and preach or we have people come and teach, we don't want them to be harsh and mean-spirited. In fact, if they are, then they're, they're not going to be invited back. But at the other extreme, if they're just saying, oh, it's okay, just live however you want to. And, and God condones rock and roll and God condones a sexually deviant lifestyle. No, he does not. He cannot. He can't do that because he's holy. There's a ditch on both sides of this. But I believe that in this day and hour, what is desperately needed today is people who would be respectful and at the same time very thorough and bold. Bold doesn't mean abrasive. Bold means this. I'm going to say everything that God says. I'm just going to say it. And I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to, I'm not going to water it down so that it's easier to accept it. No, let's just go ahead and say it like it is with compassion. So you got to talk to your son. You got to talk to your daughter. You got to talk to your brother, or your sister in Christ. How do you do that? Spend some time laying awake in bed at night saying, God, please help me. Help me. I want to be a help right here. Pray fervently for God to guide. There's times I may ask somebody, hey, would you just pray? I've got a meeting coming up. I don't even tell them who it's with. I just say, hey, would you pray? Because I know God can work through prayer. And then I pray for the Lord to come. You got to have a hard talk with somebody at work. Kind of fearful to do so. Um, let that turn into compassion and respect. But then be thorough. You got to talk to a brother and sister in Christ. Be respectful. But be thorough. Say, hey, I care about you enough. Definitely don't do this. Don't go talk to everybody else. And never even talk to the individual. Talk to the individual. Don't blast them on whatever media platform you're using. Can you believe what so-and-so is doing? <laughs> if you believe, then go talk to them. Is this making sense? Uh, open rebuke. I read it this week. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke is better than secret love. It's earrings of gold and 
Solomon said, so is a wise reprover upon obedient ears. A wise reprover upon obedient ears. I, uh, I'm extremely grateful for the times. I mentioned Brother Decker earlier. I'm extremely grateful for the times when Brother Decker kind of pulled me aside and talked to me a little bit. It's not been since I've been married to Angie. This was back when I was a youth, a teenager in his youth group, you know. <laughs> I'm grateful for the times Brother Carson pulled me aside. I'm grateful for the times that some friends have pulled me aside and talked to me, you know. Um, I'm grateful for the men of God that have stood to thunder forth the word of God without apology. <clears throat> Our culture says, just be quiet. How can we be quiet when God has spoken so clearly? So may the grace of God help us to speak with respect, to speak boldly, thoroughly, to share everything that God has said. Now, if God's not said it, then don't, don't you say it. <laughs> but it, all that God has said, we need to say. And thus, we can speak the truth in love. In love. Father, uh, thank you tonight. Samuel had such a difficult task. Lord, um, even in this hour, you've given us a task of taking the gospel to many people that don't want to hear it. But I thank you that you appeared again in Shiloh. And Lord, um, I'm thankful that you still speak today. And because you have spoken, then God help us, I pray, to speak up. God, I thank you for what you're able to do, even in the lives of those that maybe are fearful to speak up. Like, I think of Peter and how that at one point in time he was denying you before a young lady. But then just days after that, boldly standing before the Sanhedrin and saying who Jesus truly was. I thank you that you can do that in our lives and give us boldness, God, please. I know the early church prayed for boldness that they might thunder forth the gospel. And I pray that you'd help us to have that same boldness and the same compassion, dear God. Certainly our Savior exemplified that for us, that he was bold and yet compassionate. God, help us with those two traits that speak with grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand here tonight. Have thine own way. We're, we're called uh, to deliver a difficult message. And yet it's a needful message. So would you come here tonight? Maybe there's somebody on your heart that God, God wants you to speak to or, or something that you are supposed to deal with and, and God's dealing with you about that and he's already spoken. Would you come on this first verse as we begin to sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, page 505, as Brother Aaron leads us.